0: We're going to spend the next couple hours in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, if you wouldn't mind, please. I work in our district office, and I bring you greetings from our district superintendent, Kevin Johnson. He wanted me to make sure that I said hello to you from him. He's in another one of our churches this morning and and, uh, is praying for us and me as we are here today. And he sends you his greetings as well. I have uh, one wife. Uh, for 20, 23 years, she's had to endure uh, me. And we have three boys, no girls. Kristen, I don't know where you went, no girls. I do not know what it would be like to have a 13-year-old girl. The thought of having girls just uh, just scares me. So we went with all boys. We just said, right from the start, we said, let's just do all boys. Uh, they're you know They're rough, they're messy, but... But at uh, least, at least I understand them, and uh, so we I have all boys. I have a 20-year-old. His name is His name is Jacob, and Jake is a college student now. And uh, he drives a cement truck for the summer. That's his That's his big job for the summer is driving a cement truck. So he gets up at 5:30 and and uh, heads out to a cement plant, and then he drives a cement truck all day long, and then he comes back at whatever time he gets back, whatever time the job is done, and we barely see Jake. He's also a volunteer firefighter, so when he's not leaving the house at 5.30 in the morning, he's also running down the stairs at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning and tearing out of our driveway, much to our neighbor's delight, and he, he's taking off. That's, that's, that's Jake. And then we have an eight-year gap between our oldest and our next. We weren't sure we were going to have any more than one kid, and by surprise, we had Ethan, who is now 12. So there's an eight-year gap there, and Ethan is kind of the life of the party, kind of the Outgoing, social kind of uh, kind of guy, lots of fun, uh, mischievous, uh, likes to joke around. And then we have Brody. Two years later, by surprise, we figured it out eventually, and uh, we we stopped. But I always I always say, I always say, uh, if Brody had been the first child, he would have been the only child. how many people here have three kids at least three yeah it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot of, it's a lot of kid in the house and and Brody is that Brody is is a rough tumble strong-willed child uh, he he knows everything he thinks he knows everything he's determined he's argumentative he's he's daring he's dangerous he's he's a uh, he's a real rough and tumble guy and uh, he, he doesn't really fit with the rest of us, he just kind of is Brody, what Brody does, and I uh, always say he was the first, he'd be last. In fact, I used that line when I was preaching in a church one time, I said, like I said to you this morning, if Brody was our, our, our first child, he would have been our last child. And I say that because he's not with me, right, so I can get away with talking about our kids And then one morning, around 5 o'clock in the morning, Brody comes to me with his iPad in his hand, and he wakes me up, as they tend to do at 5 in the morning. And he says, Dad, what did you mean when you said that if I was the first child, I'd be an only child? I said, I never said that, Brody. I love you, La, 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 whatever you can say when you're sleepy. But I just watched this video on YouTube of you, and you said that if I was the first child, I'd be the only child. And somehow he had Googled my name and found me preaching in a church somewhere and watched the entire message to discover that I had said if he was the only, first child, he'd be the only child. So that's, that's Brody. One morning I woke up. Brody was sitting on top of a, we, we have a, like a Cape Cod style house. So our, our, our main stairs go down go down uh, 13 steps, 13 or 14 steps, and go right out the front door. It's the design of the house. And I woke up one morning. There was Brody wearing nothing, sitting on top of a Tupperware, like a tote bin lid, at the top of the stairs. And Brody, and and Ethan's at the bottom of the stairs, holding the front door open. And I run, I, you know, when you're a parent, you know there's two kinds of quiet. There's a good quiet that we all enjoy, then there's the bad quiet. You know, when you hear the bad quiet, you've got to get up and run. So I just made it just in time to grab his naked body and pull him off the stairs, about three, four stairs down, as he was trying to go off the stairs uh, and out the front door into our neighborhood in the middle of winter on the top of a Tupperware, Tupperware kid. So it's nice to be here this morning. My family's not with me. And uh, school's out, so we sent our, our two boys down to, down to Nanny's house for a few days. Just to give us a bit of a break. I want to take you to Mark chapter 6. That's a bit of my family. I work in our district office and look after different ministries in our district. And I've been doing that for some time now and enjoy that. But I do enjoy getting a chance to, to uh, share with churches from the Word. And this morning we're going to look at Mark chapter 6. And we're going to talk about plan B. Plan B. Has anybody here ever made a mistake? <laughs> I see some people pointing to their spouse. Some people have been, I'm assuming that the spouse is not the mistake. I'm assuming that you mean your spouse has made a mistake, which, which we know what that mistake is now. Mark chapter 6, verse uh, 45, please. Uh, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. This is Mark chapter 6, starting to read at verse 45. He made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, which means fish house. The the name Bethsaida means fish house, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake the Bible says he was about to pass them by. Now, we don't know why Jesus was, was about to pass them by. If he was just trying to show them that he had the ability to, you guys row, just keep rowing, and I'll walk the rest of the way. Or if he was just trying to, like, pretend he didn't see them like you do with your kids, like, I don't see you, and kept walking. We don't know why Jesus was about to pass them by, but Jesus comes in the middle of the night, shortly before dawn, and he says he was about to pass them by. But then when they saw him on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Interesting that they would think he was a ghost. And sometimes we tend to think that things that are actually our redemption are actually things that, that are evil. We, sometimes we, we tend to think that, that this shouldn't be happening to us when what is happening to us is actually something that God has sent us for our redemption and for our growth. They cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region, carrying sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in marketplaces, they begged him to let them even touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. A great story, and what has happened just before this story is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which was actually probably more like the feeding of 10,000, because they only counted the number of men who had eaten, and the Bible says the number of men who had eaten that day was 5,000, so if you throw in women and children, you would probably get eight, 10,000 people. And everybody remembers the story, it's one of the most famous stories in Scripture of Jesus taking the five loaves and two fish and, and, and giving thanks to God for it, passing it out, and at the end of that, at the end of that feed, there was, there was 12 basketfuls of bread and fish left over. So they had had this great miracle. The disciples were tired, they were hungry, and they, they were kind of weary of people, and Jesus said to them, you guys get in the boat and go across the sea to Bethsaida, and I'll dismiss the people. And then he, so he did that. They put him in the boat, and off they went. And then he spent some time in prayer, as Jesus was often prone to do, just leave the crowd, leave the disciples, leave, leave people, leave the busyness of life and ministry behind, and just get alone where he could pray. So he did that. The disciples get in the boat, and then they get in the, in the waves. There's a couple different accounts of this story in the in the, uh, in the New Testament, and, and one count says the they, were, they were buffeted by the waves. That means the, the waves were, were, were bothering the boat. They were having some hard rowing, and it was, it was a difficult time. And they were in the middle of the lake. Somewhere along the way, they, they see Jesus coming across the water, walking not towards them, but near them. And they think it's a ghost. They don't understand it's Jesus. They, never, they, they had never seen Jesus walk on water before, so they were quite, quite alarmed and quite scared. They had never seen this phenomena of, of somebody walking on the water. And, of course, they recognize eventually it was Jesus. Jesus gets in the boat, and he speaks to them and says, to the, speaks to the wind that calms down, and they row the rest of the way. When they land, a great miracle takes place. They land in Gennesaret, and people begin to carry sick people to Jesus. And uh, by then, he had been known in the region. People understood who Jesus was and knew that he was a guy who could deliver miracles and could heal people. And so they recognized him, and they brought sick people to Jesus. And I love the picture that, this, that, that Mark paints here. It says they put sick people on mats, and then they carried the mats with the sick people on them to Jesus. And to me, that's just a, a great picture of the church, that, that there's, a, there's a person who needs Jesus, and, and so... And and so the church each grabs a a corner of the mat. And as a team, they bring the people to Jesus. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And we tend to think, like I do, because I love to fish, that we stand on the shore of of a bank and we cast our rod and we try to catch lost people. But when Jesus said to the disciples, I will make you fishers of men they would not have understood it as rod and reel fishing. They would have understood it as net fishing, right. And so, so you, fishing in that day was done in team. It was done in group. It was done with multiple people. And when he says, I will make you fishers of men, and many of the disciples would have thought, ah, he wants he's going to make us, us as a group, fishers of men. And so they get this great picture in the story of, 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 of people taking sick people and putting them on mats and say, okay, hey, grab a corner, grab a corner, grab a corner, grab a corner. And they put the sick people out and they bring the sick person to where they think Jesus is going to be. Beautiful picture of the church, bringing sick people to Jesus. And uh, it was such a great miracle. They, they, they begged Jesus to even let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And anybody who touched the edge of his cloak, of his cloak was healed. It was this great, miraculous event that happened that day in in Gennesaret. One of the most powerful instances of healing in all the New Testament, where all these people just kept flooding Jesus with sick people, only to see Jesus heal them. I want to take uh, a few moments and just bring out three quick things out of the text, and then we'll go into a communion service, and then we'll go on with our day. I want you to look in verse number 48. If you've lost your place, it's Mark chapter 6, verse 48. It says he saw the disciples straining at the oars. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against it. You might read that and just go by it quickly, but don't miss the significance of this. It says that Jesus sees them. There's a couple things about the story that are pretty interesting. First of all, it says they were in the middle of the lake. They were in the middle of the lake, and Jesus saw them. They weren't still on the shore. They weren't still nearby, but they were in the middle of the lake. And the middle of the lake then would have been, if it was the literal middle, it would have been about four miles out. They were in the middle of the lake, and the eyes of Jesus were on them. So we know they are four miles out. The second thing we notice is that in verse number 47, uh, it's it's a storm. It's 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 a it's a, temp, it's a it's a tempest day. It's a it's a day when there's wind and there's waves and there's mist and there's 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 fog probably and it's 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 low visibility day. So they're in the middle of the lake. They're in a low visibility day, and yet the Bible says Jesus saw them. If you look a little further in the text, it'll say, at it'll say shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So it's it is the, the middle of the lake, four miles out. It's low visibility because of the storm, and it's nighttime. And we read the text and just says, Jesus saw them straining at the oars. We think, oh, he just looked across and he saw them straining at the oars. But the truth of the matter is, he saw them from four miles away in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night. Jesus saw them. And I want you to understand this morning that in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your mist, in the middle of your darkest night, Jesus still sees you. I want to speak to the person this morning who believes that God is far away. I want you to understand this morning that the eyes of God are on you. You are not unnoticed by God no matter how how you feel or how it seems. They looked around, they couldn't see Jesus in their boat. They looked beside the boat, they couldn't see Jesus beside the boat. As far as they knew, they were just just doing what Jesus told them to do. Get in the boat, go to the other side. They're They're just being obedient. And here they find themselves where they feel like they're absent from God. And there are countless people in our churches every Sunday who sit there and think, I'm just trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm just trying to live my life right. I'm trying to follow his commands. I'm trying to obey scripture. I'm trying to to tell my coworkers. I'm trying to do all the things that scripture says, and yet God feels a million miles away. But the truth of the matter is, when God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, he means I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. He is not going anywhere. You are not unnoticed by God. And although you might not sense that his presence is near you, I guarantee you that his eyes are on you. You are not unnoticed. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. God is with you. And so if you're here this morning, you feel like, well, I just see God doing stuff in other people's lives. Please don't take that as evidence that God has abandoned you because the Bible says that he is with us even to the end of the age. God is with you, and God sees you. So it's important that we understand that before we talk about mistakes, which is what we're going to eventually. The second thing thing really happens two chapters earlier. Two chapters earlier in Mark, the disciples are in a boat, and they're in a storm, And Jesus is in the boat, and if you remember the story, they're they're crossing a lake, and all of a sudden, the storm comes up, and the winds and the waves are furious, and and the disciples are getting upset, and where was Jesus? Jesus was asleep in the front of the boat. He's just taking a nap. Jesus, everything is falling apart. Life is going miserable. We're in a storm. Everything is just not going the way it's supposed to be. And where is Jesus? Jesus. Jesus is falling asleep. Jesus is sound asleep in the front of the boat. And so the, the boys, they're, they're bailing water, they're rowing, they're doing what they can, they're panicking, they're, they're frustrated, they're probably getting angry that Jesus is not here. And, 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 and Jesus is asleep in the boat, and, and all of a sudden they just, they just had enough. They just had enough. They said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to perish here? And they, they wake him up and it's, it's like my life with Brody. Every morning, 5 o'clock, it's, it's it's Brody in my face. Dad, Dad, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Eddie pooped in the floor. Daddy, Daddy. Eddie's our dog. He's not one of our kids. Eddie's the dog. And it's always a piece of news that has to come early in the morning. And, and, and the disciples are with, with Jesus, and, and, and Jesus uh, uh, is asleep at the, uh, in the front of the boat, and they wake him up. Jesus, 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 don't you care? That, that And Jesus wakes up, and he's looking around, and there's water, and there's wind, and there's waves, and there's... Disciples going crazy and he, he he comes to his senses and he's like, wind and waves. Disciples, shh, everybody just calm down. And the wind and the waves. They all calm down. And the disciples say, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? That's Mark chapter 2. Two chapters later, where are the disciples? They're back in a boat in a storm, and they're scared to death because the wind was pounding against them again, and then then this time, Jesus is not in the boat, but he's near the boat, and he comes walking by, and and the interesting thing is that the only thing that's happened between their first storm and their second storm has been this miracle where Jesus fed 10,000 people, and that's why the scripture there says, they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. Because between their first storm and their second storm, there is a lot of miracle. But yet they find themselves in a place of doubt again. And I want us to understand this morning that because of the things that we've already gone through, that serves as testimony to us that what we're going through now, we will get through again. The Bible says that he will take us through the storms and he will never leave us so the fact that we've come through a storm is proof to us that we're going to make it through the next storm the truth of the matter is you're still here you're, st- you're still kicking right you're, st- you're still going forward some people have gone through some very difficult things and you're still here you're still kicking through many dangers, toils, and snares, you have already come. And the fact that, that, that you've been through so much is proof to us that, that you'll get through the next thing. There may be a battle ahead of you, but just remember there is one behind you. There may be a storm in front of you, but there's also a storm behind you. And he brought you through that storm, and he will bring you through The next storm. They had seen many healings. They had seen demons delivered. They had seen 5,000 people filled. That That should have been proof to them that Jesus was going to take them through the next storm. The third thing is this. If you look in verse 45, Jesus said to the disciples, get in the boat and go to Bethsaida. Go to fish house. And then a little further in the text, You'll see where they land, and it says when they had verse fifty three when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. So Jesus told them to go to Bethsaida, but they land in Gennesaret. We don't know what happened. All we know is that Jesus gave them an instruction and said, "Go to Bethsaida," but at the end of the story. They're pulling ashore in Gennesaret. Likely what happened was that they were in their boat and they were in the storm and they said, we don't care less about Bethsaida. We just want to go to the first port that we can get to. We have an expression in Nova Scotia that says, any any port in a storm. Any port in a storm. A storm comes, they forgot all about Bethsaida and they said, let's just get to, 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 to safe ground." I went fishing yesterday. And I forgot to charge my trolling motor battery. And I thought I had enough battery to go fishing for the day and make it back. So I was in the middle of the lake on my way back to port to where I parked my car. And I have a very heavy 12-foot plastic tub of a boat. And halfway across the lake, my trolling motor dies. And it's windy, and I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed at myself. And so I was smart enough to bring a paddle. And so I'm paddling and paddling and paddling and paddling. And I didn't care about getting to my car. I just wanted to get to the shore. And luckily, what ha- I made it to shore. I, sur- I did survive, by the way. I got there. And the disciples are in a boat, and I don't think they had a meeting that said, yeah, we don't want to go to Fish House. That's kind of stinky. Let's, let's go to Gennesaret. They, they probably didn't have that level of disobedience. They probably just got in a storm and said, we just need to get to shore. And there are many people probably in this room who you've had great intentions of serving God and, and doing what he said, but then storms came and life came and sickness hit your family or tragedy struck or a situation occurred and... and, and and you, you stepped out of God's will because of the storm that you were in. Because, because life got difficult, you said, I'm just going to go and do my own thing. You probably never made that sort of mental statement, but just, you just got in the storm and said, I really want to serve God. I really want to do what God wants me to do. But I've just got this situation, and right now I'm just trying to keep my head afloat. I'm just trying to keep myself above water. I just want to get to somewhere safe. And, I'm, and eventually, I'm going to, I'll, I'll do everything God wants me to do. But for now, I just have to focus on getting better, on getting well, on getting through this situation, getting through this storm. So the disciples are in the boat, and they get off course. We don't know if it was by decision or by storm. They get off course, and they get the boat to Gennesaret. The interesting thing about the story is that Jesus walks out halfway across the lake, gets in their boat and sails with them to the place of their disobedience. He did not get in the boat and say to them, guys, I told you to go to Bethsaida. Now turn this boat around and get to Bethsaida. Jesus gets in their boat and he rows with them to the place of their disobedience. This is very important. It is very important that we understand that even when we disobey God, He does not leave us. Even when we make a mistake, He does not leave us. I sin often. And I repent daily. For the sins that I've committed. I have attitude problems, I have action problems, I have thought problems, I have I have sin and issues. But every time I sin or have a bad attitude, or I say something I shouldn't say, God does not leave me and run away. The Bible says that He is with us always. And Jesus gets into the boat with the disciples and he rose with them to the place that they weren't supposed to be going. He follows with them to their plan B. And every one of us in this room are living in plan B. Because not one of us in this room has followed God's perfect will for our lives. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have derailed our lives at times. All of us have missed the mark. All of us have missed the destination. But God doesn't take his hands off and say, oh, you messed up, you screwed up, I'm out of here. God is in our boat and he goes with us to the point of our disobedience. And even in our disobedience, God is faithful. Even in our, when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me pretty excited. Because I have had a lot of moments where I've been unfaithful to God. And yet here I am. 45 years old, able to stand and say, he has never left me. He has never abandoned me. I I've have I've proved him over and over and over like that song has said that we sung this morning. He has not abandoned me in the times of my disobedience. In fact, when my sin abound, his grace abounded even more. And the story ends with with something pretty interesting. They pull into the shore of the place where they weren't supposed to be. And God does a tremendous miracle. Those people weren't supposed to get the miracle that day. People in Bethsaida were supposed to get the miracle that day. But the people of Gennesaret heard Jesus was coming. And even in the place of the disciples' disobedience, God worked a miracle. I remember when I was uh, just starting out in ministry. I graduated from Bible school in 1994. And I went to my first church, which was, which was in Quispamsis, New Brunswick. I didn't know Quispamsis was. Well, anybody here from Quispamsis? Hey, here you go. Yeah, that's where I went to my... So I was there for six years, and um, I was there for my internship in 93, and then after I graduated, I came on staff uh, at the church. And uh, I worked with a guy named Doug Moore. Now, if you know, Doug Moore used to be a district superintendent. He's probably spoken here before. You might know him. But when it comes to being uh, uh, the model of a great pastor, he's it. And when I graduated Bible school, I was sort of amazed with him because he had a real ability to preach. Fantastic! He could he could just preach so well. People would come to all people would get saved. It was his messages were, were were fantastic, and people would people would respond to his great preaching. And Chris Pam, sis at the time was a church plant, so he was a church planter. I had got there when the church was about four four or five years old, and 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 he was planting the church and. And he was a great counselor. People would come to him for advice and he'd dispense out all this great advice. And and he could diffuse conflict. And people would come when they'd be angry about something or they'd be upset about something, as, as you would get in a new church, any church, I guess. And he would diffuse that conflict. And, and on top of that, he was just a real likable guy. People just people just, just were just drawn to him. And my parents loved him, and my wife's parents loved him. And we loved working for him. So he was this, he was this great pastor in my eyes and and I was there about two years when his greatness started to frustrate me because because I was just trying to learn how to do this ministry thing and here was this guy who had it all together and the longer I worked with him the more frustrated I became with my condition i couldn't preach i couldn't visit i couldn't counsel i wasn't very wise and then I was i was i had the misfortune of working with the guy who could do all these things and it was very frustrating to me and, I, and the longer i was there 6 years the longer i was there the 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 more frustrated i became with myself that i wasn't all those things he could do no wrong he just every time something came up he just had a way of working it i came to learn a little differently as I matured in ministry, but I remember being there my second year, and every morning I walk into the office, he's one of these guys who gets up at 6.30 in the morning, is in the office by 7, and is just doing his six hours of prayer before he starts his day, kind of guy. So every time I walk into the office, I would just stick my head in his office, and I would say something stupid, yo, what's up, or I just say dum dumb," and he would just, hey Jim, and, and I go down to my office, and we do our thing. One morning about my second or third year into it, I'm feeling really low because I'm not where I want to be and I'm, I'm with this guy who's everything that I want to be and I'm really frustrated with myself and I walk into the office and I do my usual routine and I stick my head into his office and as I stick my head into his office, I catch the sight of him. Slamming down his phone. That was back when we had phones with cords and stuff in it. Slamming down his phone on his desk and with his left hand taking the entire contents of his desk: Bible, coffee, notes, books, swiping the whole thing, ksh, boom, into the trash can next to his desk. He completely lost it. Don't tell him, I'll tell him the story. I, he completely lost his marbles. The Bible was covered in coffee. His notes were everywhere. It was just this hurricane of a, of a swipe. Boom, into the trash can. And most of it missed the trash can. And he had just everything. It had trophies and coffee cups and, and cup holders. And all these things just fell onto the floor. And, and, and the phone, and it was just this big chaos. And I just stepped back of his office and went down to my And as I turned and walked out of his office, joy filled my heart. (laughs) I have never in my life as felt as light and as happy and as wonderful and as exuberant as I felt that day turning away from this office when the man crashed and burned. We never talked about it. He never said anything about it. I never knew who was on the phone. I never knew what they said. I never knew what happened. All as I know is when I saw him lose his cool, inside it did something wonderful to me. I know. I'm pretty carnal. I'm pretty carnal. I know what you're thinking. Now, I'm not saying that I'm, I, got, I am pretty carnal. And I just felt so fantastic that, that I was able to witness that experience. And I want you to understand this morning that Jesus wasn't planning on being there in Gennesaret. That was not the plan for the disciples. But Jesus takes the mistakes that they made and made ministry out of them. And Jesus can take the mistakes that we make and make ministry out of them. God can take our disobedience and make ministry out of it. The same way that when I saw Doug, that's a bad story, I know, but the same way when Doug, Doug's, Doug's failure happened, it did something in my heart that says, you know what? There's still hope for me yet. And they land on the shore, and the Bible says that everybody who touched his cloak was healed. Your storm will be a story someday. Your story will be ministry someday. God will take the mistakes that you make. If you let him redeem them, he'll make them into ministry. And even in your disobedience, God can switch that and make that something great for his kingdom. The storm will not break you. It can make you if you let let God redeem the story. So I don't know this morning your stories obviously or your situations if you feel a mile away from God or feel like God's a mile away from you or four miles away from you and you're in the middle of the lake in a boat in a storm in the middle of the night I want you to understand that God sees you. God sees you. And even if you're going the wrong direction even if you're if you're, if you're paddling just to, just to get out of the storm, you're just trying to get through, you're just trying to get by, you're just trying to keep your head above water, and you're not even thinking about what direction your life is going in, in God, you're just trying to survive, I want you to understand that God is with you. He's with you. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He sees you, and he's near you, and he's watching you. And even if you end up in the wrong destination, even if you make a mistake, even if you go the wrong pathway, that's not what God has for you. That's not his plan for you. That's not his purpose for your life. But even if you make a mistake, the spirit of God is still with you. And this morning, if you're sitting here, and you're like, my life is so off course. My life is so going the wrong direction. I want you to know this morning that there is a savior who is standing outside your boat, willing to get into it with you and row to whatever destination you're going to. You have a Savior who is close to you and is going to stick with you no matter how many times in this life you mess up, He is going to be with you. The great thing about God is that when we ask for forgiveness, God forgives. God forgives. And every time we make a mistake, God forgives. Every time we sin, we go to Him and say, God, I'm sorry, He forgives. And the grace of God abounds in our life even when we go to the wrong places. This morning we're going to participate in communion together. I'm going to ask Kristen and the team to come. I think your normal practice is to have stations set up and then people come and receive communion elements. And then we, we participate together. So I'm going to ask Kristen to come and, and uh, that will give a moment for those who are helping uh, serve communion to, to do that. And Kristen asked me if we wanted to do communion earlier in the service or if we wanted to do it at the end of the service. And I said, I said, what I'm talking about this morning would, would really fit well if we could have communion at the end of the service. That we could acknowledge the covering of our sin at the end of our service by taking communion together. So maybe we could stand, and I'm sure you just come down the rows and grab your emblems and move back to your seat. So if you would just do that, please. I apologize; I'm not very familiar with how you do things here, but I'm sure you're used to it. If you are new here, just follow the person who's uh, who's in front of you, and uh, come down one aisle and go back down the next.